Welcome to Fame and Fortune and everything that goes with it from the Fans First Sports Network College Football Feed. My name is Matt Timonini, and I am joined by our West Coast Chaos Correspondent, Jamie Urich. Jamie, we thought week three was going to be boring. We should have known better. We sh- I should always know better because I'm here for the chaos. That's that's why I watch football. I don't like predictable. And it, this week was not predictable. No, even though there weren't necessarily any huge upsets, there were a lot of teams that we thought were going to blow some some uh, lesser opponents out that did not do that. It was an absolutely incredible week of action and tension. And that's what makes this show so difficult the further we get into the season, Jamie, because what we do here on Fame and Fortune and everything that goes with it is we do three different segments every week. The first one is ranking our personal top four who we think deserves to be in the college football playoff. That will almost never replicate what the actual college football playoff committee does, but we pick our top four. And during the first two weeks, Jamie, it really wasn't that hard. You only had two games. If they had a big win, they got in. But now we're getting to the point of the season where teams can have really good wins, but also have some kind of crappy wins where they probably should have won by more than a point or two. And we have to start balancing what means more to us, the big win or the close win that probably could have been a loss to a lesser opponent. So it's gonna start to get interesting as we have more data to start weighing as we move forward. Then after we pick our personal college football playoff teams, we predict what we think will happen at the end of the season with the actual four teams that'll make it into the CFP. And then at the end, we run through everybody who we think should be in contention for a Heisman Trophy invite to New York City in December. We aren't saying these are the people who are going to win or the exact people who are going to be invited to New York, but just the people who we think are in that running at this point in the year. So Jamie, let's run through who we had as our personal picks last week coming out of week two. You start off with number four, Ole Miss. I thought that was crazy then. I think it's even crazier now. Number three, you had Washington State. Number two, you had Miami. And number one, you had Texas. I had number four, Miami, number three, Colorado, number two, Texas, and number one, Florida State. I imagine that both of us are going to have a number of teams changing because uh, at least three of them in my in my top four had wins that probably could have been losses or at least weren't nearly as big as we thought. So, Jamie, let's kick it off with who you have in your number four slot. Um, I've got this sound like such a homer, but I've got Ohio State in that number four slot. It was the first week that I felt like this looked like a playoff team. I think that Kyle McCord, knowing that he had secured that starting job for real, um, and that he is our QB one, he, you know, he looked good this weekend. He threw for three touchdowns, 318 yards. They played like a team on both sides of the ball. The offense and the defense were just like on and going. And that is exactly the momentum they need heading into next Saturday against Notre Dame, who if I didn't have Ohio State in that four slot, I would have Notre Dame in that four slot. So I really think next week is anybody's game. And I think this is exactly, exactly the performance that OSU needed going into such a high stakes matchup. Yeah, they actually looked like an Ohio State team. And I did an interview that'll come out in the uh, Land Grant Podcast Network feed here from the Fans First Sports Network with the uh, Athletics Ohio State reporter Cameron Teague Robinson. And he said that it just it, it feels like they had to figure a lot of things out coming into the season, whether it was the offensive line, the starting quarterback, what they were going to do in the secondary. And it took him a while 
to go through that process and to actually figure out the best way to move forward with a team that had a lot of returning production, but also had to fill in a lot of very significant holes. Obviously, the quarterback is the biggest hole you have to fill in with C.J. Stroud now starting for the Houston Texans. But they lost three offensive linemen to the NFL, two of which are starting already. Uh, you got Paris Johnson Jr. and Dewan Jones, and then you had Luke Whipler as well leaving. So they had to rebuild that offensive line fairly significantly. And then they've had a lot of turnover in the secondary as well. Even guys who are now back full time healthy who weren't able to go last year. So a lot of moving parts from Ohio State last year to this year. And knock on wood, I know it was just against Western Kentucky, but since you and I are both Ohio State alums, hopefully that's the way they look moving forward for the rest of the season, because that was fun. Not like the first two weeks, which were not fun. And that looked like a team that could compete not only for a Big Ten title, but a national title as well. So fingers crossed that we continue to see that moving forward. Yeah, exactly that. And, you know, Matt, the the one thing that I thought was like really an important differentiator between this week's game and the previous two was the run game really got off the ground because the offensive line found their groove. They are going to have to match that or beat it against Notre Dame because this is an incredible Notre Dame team. I do really think that this Notre Dame team is for real as much as it pains me to say that. So we'll see next week and maybe they'll be flip flopped. I hope not. But I I thought this really did look like an Ohio State team that could be a championship contender. I think you think more highly of Notre Dame than I do. I don't think they're bad by any means. I think they're better than last year's team, but I'm not sure that they are at the level where I would be picking them over Ohio State. They are Ohio State is currently a three-point favorite on the road, which means on a neutral site, Vegas would probably favor them anywhere from five to six points. So I think... I, and I think that's probably if Ohio, the Ohio State we saw this past week, I, I think that's not even close to what I would put the line at. But we will have to wait and see. Neither of them has really played anybody of note so far this season. So this will obviously be the first test for both of them. And then we will see what they are really made of. Yeah, absolutely. For me in the number four spot, I have the team that I had at number two last week, which is the Texas Longhorns. They have arguably the biggest win of the entire college football season going on the road and beating Alabama fairly handily in Tuscaloosa. But then they were tied 10-10 heading into the fourth quarter against Wyoming. And it was not an impressive game. It was one that honestly didn't, it looked like the Texas of old. We've talked about this, Jamie, where coming off of that win, you had to wonder if this was going to be a letdown game for the Longhorns, which has been Honestly, one of the things that has kept them from maximizing the talent that they've had through the years is because they're just not able to replicate their highs on a consistent basis and they don't beat the teams that they're supposed to beat handily. Now, they did end up winning by 21 points. They scored three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. So that is a solid win. Um, I'm not sure if they covered or not, but, you know, a 21 point win against anybody is is fine. You can't argue about that. But Quinn Ewers, who looked incredible against Alabama, was 11 of 21 for 131 yards, only completed 52% of his passes, and he went back to looking like the guy before who was indecisive in his reads, could not make much out of the of the deep ball. They relied incredibly heavily, heavily on running back Jonathan Brooks, who went for 164 yards on 21 carries. Granted, one of those runs was on a 61-yarder, but they didn't look like a team that would would be able to kind of maintain the high of their game against the Crimson Tide last week. So I've still got them in my four based solely on how good they looked last week. 
But if they don't have another big rebound game this week, I, I, I can see them dropping out just because you have to kind of shrug your shoulders and be like, that's Texas. You know, they they play well in in some big games and then they kind of fall by the wayside. Texas plays at Baylor um, this week in prime time. Baylor is obviously, as we've seen throughout the season, not very good, losing to both Texas State and a very good Utah team and making that close. But this is another game that the Longhorns, Jamie, should be able to win handily. And if they don't, I think that tells us a lot more about the team than the actual Alabama victory does. I agree with that. Um, I had Texas in my number one slot last week after that win over Alabama. And I think you and I both dropped them two slots. So I've got them in my number three slot for all of the reasons you just said. Um, I think that Quinn Ewers is going to really have to go back to who he was in week two if he wants to be, have a winning season and also like maintain his Heisman chances, which is a thing that we'll talk about later in the show. He can't play like he did this weekend. And yeah, 21 points is a, is a handy victory. But it's a slow start, and I think it started to show the, the holes that are in this Texas team that could potentially be a problem for them down the road when they start to play really tough competition. So my number three is who I had as number one last week. So we both dropped our number ones, two spots. I have the Florida State Seminoles in the number three spot, again, because of the strength of their victory earlier in the season, because in all honesty, they could have in possibly should have lost to the Boston College Eagles. They won 31 to 29. And I got to tell you, Boston College is bad. They're number 83 according to SP+. They're 1 and 2 on the season. They have lost they have a loss to Northern Illinois to start the season. They beat Holy Cross by 3 and then they obviously lost to Florida State by 2 points this weekend. So even though they got the win, it's a conference game. But they had opportunities on the stretch, like a bad bounce on a muffed punt from Florida State really could have could have saved the game for the Seminoles. Jordan Travis, kind of like Quinn Ewers, but to a lesser degree, 16 of 24 for 212 yards and two touchdowns. Didn't throw the ball a lot. Decent completion percentage. But if you're a, a Heisman candidate, as we have had him for the last couple of weeks, Against a team like Boston College, in a game where they make it close down the stretch, you have to do better than that. And I, I wasn't as impressed with him as I had been throughout the season. So I, I've got them in my four again because of their LSU victory to open the season. But they're going to have to show me something this week. They play Clemson this weekend. And I think that'll go a long way to determining the ACC. You obviously have Miami in there as well, and I guess uh, North Carolina as well. But if they can beat Clemson like they beat LSU, or at least something close to it uh, this weekend, I'm, I'll be happy to keep them in my top four and perhaps even move them up. But they can't have a game like they had against Boston College. Obviously, Clemson is much better than Boston College. But are they? I mean, they lost to Duke, so I mean, maybe they're not that much better, but I do think they're better. But they, they have to show us something coming in to week four, Jamie, uh, if they want to maintain that status as a legitimate ACC title contender. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I still think that this is a top 10, probably even like I would I would probably put them in my top six. Like they're they're not in my top four this week, but I still think that they're, they have all the pieces to be a top 10, top eight, top six football team. And really even one of the top in the country when they are playing at their best, but you cannot, barely eke out a win over a team that you are a fourth score favorite on the road over. I do think that Jordan Travis can kind of 
get some redemption next week against Clemson. But none of this is to mention Boston College probably would have been leading the game by much more than they were to start the first quarter if they weren't just racking up penalties. Yeah. So a lot of what the score shows us at the end isn't even the result of like Florida State's play so much as it is Boston College's errors. I just, this game was a really fun football game to watch, but I just was so unimpressed with what Florida State did. And granted, they did win. And sometimes eking out a win like this, that you, it should never have been a close game. And if this were a team that was ranked, you know, we would be praising them for eking out that win the way that they did. But it left me with a lot of questions about this Florida State team that they'll need to answer for next week against Clemson. I, I think one question that's come up quite a bit over this past weekend, and we talked about it in our Lane Grant Slack channel, like, are there any teams that are really good this season? Like, I think there are teams that are good. There are some teams that are probably very good, but are there great teams or or are there really even really good teams? I, I'm not sure that there is anybody who is going to separate themselves tremendously. I mean, we haven't we we haven't even talked about Georgia in our own rankings yet, mainly because they haven't played anybody. Uh, they're obviously the number one team in the country and they are obviously the two time defending national champions, but they kind of didn't look great against South Carolina either this week. So I'm not sure exactly what teams we're supposed to be looking at and saying that is the best team that everybody's chasing in college football. Still, logically, it's Georgia. But if you just look as to what the results have been so far in the 2023 season, like I'm not sure that there's anybody that has separated themselves, which makes it even more exciting to watch on a weekly basis because you know, every game can have a huge monumental impact as to how we view in each individual team, how we view each conference, how we view the entire sport. But I think Florida state in Texas for that matter too, it's like that where they can look great at one point and then not great at another point. And that just kind of goes to show you that it's wide open. I, I think, I don't think this is going to be a season where we have three or four undefeated teams making the college football playoff. Hell, this could be the first time that we don't have any undefeated teams making it. Uh, that would be fun. It would make the, the, the stretch run of the season that much more exciting because each individual game will have even more importance when you don't have teams who are like, well, even if they lose, they're still going to get in. So I, I'm excited to see what happens with Florida state and with Texas moving forward, but maybe they're just good. Maybe they're just very good, but I don't, I'm not sure that they're great. Like I thought they were after those first two big wins. Yeah, I agree with you, Matt. I I actually, and I like a season where there's not like a clear, this is the best team. It keeps things interesting. Then you have, you always have to play the game, but like you really have to play the football game. Um, And I actually kind of thought that last season was a season like that. And so I was a little bummed when Georgia ended up winning because it felt like the predictable thing. And that was a great Georgia team, but it wasn't the Georgia team from the year before where no one could even really hold a candle to them. So I, I thought maybe we'd get a little more chaos at the end of last season. And then didn't, I think we really could see it this year. All right, let's go into our top two each. Uh, Jamie, who do you have at number two? I've got Michigan at number two. You know, 
they beat Bowling Green 31 to six. It actually wasn't a great performance, particularly from JJ McCarthy. He looked real clunky. He threw three interceptions, which is a career high for him. He did have two touchdown passes, but you should never throw more interceptions than touchdowns. Like, let's be very clear. Especially um, against Bowling Green. Were, especially against Bowling Green. It was messy, despite the score being as high as it is. Um, but with that said, you know, Blake Coram looked great. They still didn't have Harbaugh, which I think is neither here nor there no. at the end of the day. But Bowling Green was turning the ball over left and right too. And maybe this game would have looked a little different if they didn't turn the ball over twice on the first three snaps of the second half. Like the game, I don't know, could have ended, could have ended a little differently, but I still don't think Michigan's win was ever in danger. I think it just might've been a closer game. Still with that said, I do think this Michigan team is maybe the one exception to what we just discussed of like, they, they could be the team that pulls away in my brain. They're not quite there yet, but I could see them like in three weeks, all of us just being like, well, Michigan will win the title. Um, oh, see, I'm, I look, I have, I have Michigan at number two as well for all of the reasons you just said, but I don't see that. I actually think that they are worse than they were last year. They lost a ton of talent. To the NFL. They still have Blake Corum, who, you know, I know you would have picked him to win the Heisman Trophy last year, but he, you know, he had 101 yards on 12 carries this weekend, which is good, but kind of a low number of snaps for him. Um, Donovan Edwards had nine. So, I mean, they were they were balancing it out and Blake Corum went for 8.4 yards per carry, which is great. But in a game where your quarterback is struggling, you would think maybe they'd rely on him more. But the problem with Michigan is, is like, they don't play anybody until mid-November. I mean, this is their schedule moving forward. Rutgers, Nebraska, Minnesota, Indiana, Michigan State, Purdue, and then they finally play Penn State on November 11th, then they play Maryland, and then they play Ohio State. So this is not a team that we... I, I mean, you're right. They might look the best in the country, but they are not playing anybody so maybe that gives them a chance to kind of get some young guys better to fill in all of the talent that they lost maybe that allows them to stay healthy towards the end of the season and maybe this is my scarlet and gray colored glasses coming through but like they're not as good of a team on paper as they were last year and i think that they're still they still have talent they're still very good i think they're still a top six seven team but i i don't see the difference makers especially on defense that we've seen in the in the recent past from the Wolverines. So maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe I'm just a homer. But to me, it's going to take us a while till we can actually see who they are. And if they struggle against a team like Nebraska or Minnesota or even Indiana, uh, even if they ended up even if they end up winning, maybe that tells us something more about who they are than if they would you know lose a game to Penn State in Week Five rather than having to play them in Week Eleven or Twelve. I think that we won't get answers on this Michigan team as quickly as we will on some of the other teams, you know, OSU and Notre Dame are going to duke it out next weekend and we'll have a better idea of like, are either of them legit Are both of them legit? We'll see. Um, and we'll know that at the end of Saturday with a little more certainty and we may not get those answers until later in the season with Michigan. But I do think that even with a lot of young guys on the field, they, they do have the pieces in place. 
Yeah, and they have re- they they have returning talent. So I'm not saying like they don't have like guys coming back, but I think they lost a lot of like some of their best players, especially on defense. Their offense is essentially the same from last year. So, but I don't necessarily think their offense was the strength of their team. I think it was their defense, and they they still have some some pieces back. But I, I'm just not sure that they have the top level talent that they have in years past. But all right, let's look at number one. I. I think we both have the same number one team. Who do you have? I have Washington. Okay. I mean, yeah, we, Michael Penix Jr. We'll get to him shortly, but like he was 27 for 35. He threw for 437 yards and four touchdowns. They whomped on Michigan state. Just absolutely. Poor Sparty. That was fun to watch. I feel like they have played more teams at this state in the season that are like worth their weight than most of the other teams in the field. And in all of those situations, they have exceeded projections by multiple scores. Um, Michael Penix Jr. has thrown for 400 yards in all three games this season. It's goofy. Like, I called Caleb Williams goofy last week and he is Um, Michael Penix jr. Is also goofy. Like it's, he's so good that it's just kind of ridiculous that other people are even taking the field and like being in the same ballpark as him. Um, I think that there are a lot of places in Washington schedule where this could go awry for them down the road they do have a really tough schedule um but but at this point in the season i think that they've shown that they can handle themselves and can hang and i'm i'm excited to see it they're they're yeah i think i i have got them in that number one slot i don't really think anyone else is playing quite as cohesive a game as they are at this point they don't have the marquee win yet this season that some of these other programs have, but they have three, like you mentioned, solid wins. They beat Boise State handily by 37 points. They beat Tulsa by 33 points. And as you mentioned, they beat Michigan State 41 to 7. Now, you can argue that perhaps some of those teams aren't nearly as good as some of their own recent iterations. But Boise State, Tulsa, and Michigan State is a pretty good non-conference schedule for a Power 5 team, especially because their season is so backloaded. This is how they end the 2023 campaign, Jamie. It's so silly. It's ridiculous. On November 4th, they play USC at USC. On November 11th, they play Utah. On uh, on November 18th, they play at Oregon State. Then they finish the season on November 25th with the Apple Cup against Washington State. Currently, those four teams are all ranked. And again, I don't think that the rankings necessarily mean a, a whole lot. But all four of those teams are good teams. And, and they will all have something to play for down the stretch. Even if, if it's just Oregon State and Washington State out of the Pac-12 title race. But they want to get you know, some revenge on one of the schools that essentially blew up the Pac-12. So I think that Washington, I think, has the best quarterback in the country. Yeah. I think that they've got a schedule that allows them to get and stay healthy. They do play Oregon on October 14th. 
but they've gotten some decent non-conference tests. They have games against Cal and then Arizona, then an off week before they host the Ducks. So like that sets up pretty well. And then they have a couple other kind of tune-up games against Arizona State and Sanford before they go on that murderer's row final month. So I really like where we're at with the Huskies, and I am very much looking forward to a Big Ten team winning the national title when UW takes it home in January. I love that. And I will say, I actually think there would be something nice about having a Pac-12 team in the finals this year because of the way that the conference is on its way out. Yeah, I am kind of hoping that Oregon State or Washington State wins that title, (laughs) wins the Pac-12 title just for the same reasons. But if they don't, I do hope that Oregon or Washington, not USC because I'm never going to root for USC, uh, but Oregon or Washington makes it to the college football playoff. And, and if Ohio state doesn't win, maybe they will. So, uh, we will have to wait and see. All right, Jamie. So let's go from what we would pick for the college football playoff. And now let's look at what we think the actual CFP committee will select. Not this week, not at the first rankings in November, but when they have their final seedings for the college football playoff following championship weekend. Yeah, so go ahead and run through your four, and and we'll see where we stand on those. I have um, Ohio State in the four slot, Washington in the three slot, Florida State in the two slot, and Michigan as the number one seed. Oh, I don't like that. I'm so sorry. However, I... Yeah. It is what I feel in my gut this week. Ask me again next week. All right. I don't like it at all. Um, I am going to go with Washington at four. I'm going to go with Ohio State at three. I had them in my week one. I'm going to keep them in there. Um, I still have LSU uh, in the number two spot. And then I have Florida State at number one. I I do think it's interesting. I I, I can't see yours happening just because I cannot see they're not being an SEC team in there. Um, I, I realize that if everybody in the SEC has two losses and there's a bunch of undefeated and one loss teams, maybe that happens, which I think could be the case here. Cause I'm like we said earlier, I'm not sure that anybody including an SEC team is head and shoulders above everybody else, but I you're, I'm going to have to see a college football playoff without an SEC team before I actually believe it. And obviously this is the last year that it could possibly happen because there's no chance when we go to 12, that there's not going to be an SEC team, especially with the automatic bids. So I could see the big 10 getting two teams in there. Um, but I, I think there has to be at least one sec team. So we will have to wait That's and see fair. what happens. I think, I think the way it, the, the way you just described it, if we have a bunch of sec teams that are all two lost teams, I mean, maybe I think that in that case, what probably what would happen, and this is concerning, is if we get Michigan and OSU both undefeated entering into the game, theoretically, whichever team wins is going to. Yeah. Well, whichever team wins, if they're both undefeated, is going to playoff period. I, I think that the four seed, like if OSU had one loss and it was to Michigan, I could see the committee or if Michigan had one loss and it was to OSU. I could see the committee bumping them out of that four seed for a two loss SEC team and calling it strength of schedule. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that we could certainly see that happening. Um, but there's a long way to go. 
I think at this point, anything is possible. Uh, I would hate Colorado could get in. Who who no, even knows? At no, this they're point? no, they're not getting in. They're, <laughs> they're just not. They're not. They could have and should have lost to Colorado State, and that's fine. It was exciting and it was fun. They're not. They're not winning the Pac-12. But anyway. All right, so let's get in to our Heisman Trophy conversation. How we do this is every week, we just kind of bounce back and forth until we've exhausted all of the names that we personally would invite to the Heisman Trophy ceremony in New York City. Maybe as we get closer, we will actually try to predict the the real-life finalists. But for now, we're just going to go back and forth and kind of rattle off the players that we think have earned a mention in this type of conversation. So, Jamie, who do you have as your first selection moving forward in no particular order, of course. I mean, Michael Penix Jr. Um, yes. First on the list, yeah. first in our hearts. First on the list, first in our hearts. I I think up to this point, he was probably like the closest to just being on Caleb Williams' heels, but it still felt like Caleb Williams was the like person to beat. And now I don't necessarily feel that that's the case. Now, Caleb Williams did have a bye week this week, so we have nothing to go off of. Um, But Michael Penix Jr. has been lights out in every single game this season, throwing over 400 yards every single game. That is the kind of performance, you know, when we talk about what happened with Florida State and Jordan Travis just kind of barely eking out that win what should have happened was what Michael Penix Jr. has been putting forth every week, which is just absolute domination. Um, So yeah, he's number one in my heart. And I think in actuality at this point in the season. Yeah, I think that works. I think that is definitely good. Um, I am going to add in a new name to our conversation here, and that is Oklahoma quarterback Dylan Gabriel. He had an absolutely lights out week this weekend against Tulsa. They won 66 to 17. He was 28 of 31 for 421 yards passing, five touchdowns. He did throw one interception, but coming into this next week, into week four, he leads college football with completion percentage, completing 82 and a half passes this season. He's averaging 301.7 yards per game, which is also good for 11th on the year. He has um, also thrown 11 touchdowns, which is good for a tie for fourth, just two behind Sam Hartman. But Sam Hartman has played an extra game, so that doesn't really count. Um, I, I think he's just been absolutely incredible. He's the only player in college football above 220 quarterback rating other than Caleb Williams, who's all the way up at 240, as you just mentioned. Um, and I think it's safe to kind of just, even though Caleb Williams didn't play last week, I think we're going to go ahead and keep him in that conversation as well. So yeah. when you're in the same conversation as the defending Heisman Trophy candidate at the top of all of these lists, Dylan Gabriel, Oklahoma Sooner quarterback, which is normal. We are used to seeing Oklahoma Sooner quarterbacks in the Heisman Trophy conversation, but with Brent Venables as the head coach, we kind of thought the offense was destroyed and it was um, no longer going to be what it was, but you've got him running the show. I, I think he has an opportunity to make that team a lot more balanced and probably shake up the pe- the big 12 a little bit more than we had anticipated coming into the season. I, I, I like that addition a lot, actually. Um, I don't think that, I think if you're in that same conversation, as folks like Caleb Williams, Michael Penix Jr., you, we, you have to be on our list at this point. I agree. Who else do you have? 
Um, <laughs> you're going to laugh at me. I am keeping Audrey Gestime on my list. Okay. Um, he is, I, I think he's the sleeper. Um, but I will say that he is currently ranked 17 on DraftKings sportsbook list of odds. Um, and he hasn't, they haven't really like had a chance to show what he can do yet. Um, I think that also I, probably has something to do with the fact that he's a running back. I think that just by default, running backs have l- worse odds to win the Heisman because they, yeah, no they're going to no drop one much yeah. lower for sure. Yeah. They're dropping lower. And I think, I mean, I think that like if a running back is going to do it, he's my sleeper. He's my dark horse. And I think maybe I will put my foot in my mouth next week after they've played Ohio state. We will see. But if he has a lights out game against OSU, people are going to start paying attention. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. He's And just like as a stats rundown, you know, he's gone for 521 yards on 63 carries. Again, Matt did say Notre Dame has played an extra game this season. So you have to factor that into those numbers. Five touchdowns. He's averaging 8.3 yards a carry, which is excellent. He's my sleeper. I think when they get into it next week, if he, if he goes lights out, people are, people are paying attention. I like that. All right. So last week over at LandGrantHolyLand.com, you and I did an article where we were predicting the Heisman Trophy finalist that nobody had ever heard of yet. And obviously nobody is subjective because we don't know who everybody has heard of. But I went with a guy who I'm going to mention here, and that is Washington State quarterback Cameron Ward. He has not been getting nearly as much attention as his in-state rival Michael Penix Jr. with obvious good reason but this past week against northern colorado again northern colorado is northern colorado but ward went 20 of 26 for 327 yards and four touchdowns but he got pulled pretty early because he actually had two of his backups got in and one of them um john mater went seven for eight for 138 yards and two touchdowns himself. And then another one um, went two for four with an interception, but Emmett Brown freshman. So like they gave, they took away a lot of options for him to, uh, to, to rack up some stats, but he had a pretty good outing so far this season. He is third in the country in terms of yards per game at 330 behind only Michael Penix jr. And Shador Sanders, which I'm sure we're going to mention him here shortly as well. But He's having a pretty good season under the radar because it's Washington State, and I don't think he gets nearly as much um, attention as everybody else. But he is, in terms of guys who have played three games, he's number three in terms of, of, of yards. Obviously, overall yards per game, he's number three. I think he's a guy who we have to talk about, especially if Washington State, with their win over Wisconsin, is going to start to look like a team that might do something fun and, and make a mess of the final Pac-12 season. That's an interesting pick. And I, and you know what? I, I don't hate that. I don't have him on my list, but I, I can get behind that selection. All right. Who else you got? I've got Shador. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they did have a, a close game this weekend. And with that said, we're talking individual performances here with Heisman finalists and that, that last drive, the Buffaloes were down by eight points. It was a 120 yard drive. Uh, because of penalties so longer than a typical drive by a lot Um, and there's under two minutes to go against Colorado State that drive in and of itself to me was like this is why he is Heisman caliber Um, he finished 38 for 47 yard 38 of 47 for 348 yards with four touchdowns and an interception obviously interceptions not great but they happen 
and he's looked exceptional through this point in the season and nothing about this game to me lowered his stock um, because he delivered at a, in a game situation where he had to be the one to pull his team through. And he did exactly that. We talk a lot about Heisman moments and usually those things come in rivalry games at the end of the season and, uh, and championship games and conference championship games. This is a rivalry game again, not necessarily against the best competition, but I think throughout the season, so far through three games or four games, if we're counting week zero, I think Shador Sanders has had the most Heisman moments. Like if you put on somebody's tape, uh, I think he has the most exciting reel. Now, maybe you throw Caleb Williams in there uh, as well. But like Shador has just had an impressive season. And and I think that he's got an opportunity to kind of do something really special with this team. He is like, like I kind of mentioned earlier with Cam Ward. He's number two in terms of his yards per game. The competition is going to get harder for him at this point moving forward. And he's going to have to do it against much better teams. But so far through week three, like, I, I mean, he's been pretty impressive. Like, I don't know how you can argue against him. They've got nasty back-to-back weeks coming up with Oregon and USC on the road in Oregon hosting USC. Then they, they go two weeks with Arizona state and Stanford. Then they have a week off, but then they go UCLA and Oregon state, both of them ranked right now. Then they have, then they have Arizona. Then they have Washington state and Utah, both of them ranked right now. So like, they're going to have the chance for Shador Sanders to prove that he is great and not just really good against bad competition. And if he can do that, there's no reason why he shouldn't be in New York city when it comes time for the Heisman ceremony. I agree. Yeah. I mean, he's on my list and certainly there's room for that to change throughout the course of the season. But up to this point, I've been on the Colorado train from day one and I think he's delivering exactly what I expected was going to be the case. And with that, Jamie, I have nobody else to add to this list. Um, they'll, I'm going to talk about the guys who we don't have on the list, but do you have anybody else to either bring back from last week or to add to this conversation? I do not. That's my list as okay. it stands right now. I think there are a couple people I have my eye on in the coming weeks. So I do expect that maybe in a week or two, I'll have a couple people to add, but for this week, based on what we've seen so far through the first three, that's the list. Yeah. Last week we had Jordan Travis on, we already talked about his week. Um, I have also been championing DJ Uyunglele from Oregon State. He went against San Diego State. He was 14 of 30 for 284 yards, one touchdown and two interceptions. Not the worst day of a quarterback in in Heisman contention, but not the best. So I think DJ was a, a dark horse and I'll be happy to put him back in if he kind of gets back to the 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 performance that we saw in the first two weeks, he did add a rushing touchdown, 17 yards on three carries, but I'm going to go ahead and drop him down as we start to see some more guys. And then we had Quinn Ewers in there. Obviously we talked about him going 11 for 21 for 131 yards. That's just not Heisman material against the, against a Wyoming team. So we lost Jordan Travis. We lost DJ Uyunglele and we lost Quinn Ewers. We had previously had Drake may in week one and Travis Hunter in week one. Um, and then they weren't on the list in week two. Obviously, Travis Hunter is now out for three weeks, which will certainly hinder his uh, ability to get back into the conversation for the Heisman Trophy. But yeah, I just I think an injury. Yeah, still one of the most exciting players in the country, though. Absolutely. It's no disrespect to him. I mean, I, I the injury, I believe, is what 
hurt Blake Quorum last year. It's we just know that the committee will take that into consideration and it it does hinder your chances. So it's it's unfortunate that we won't get to see the full season and what what he could have done with the full season. But um I you know I I think he's still an exceptional player and so much fun to watch. So that's not a, a knock on him. Yeah, I mean, the Heisman is so often about counting stats, like what numbers do you have and how that compares to everybody else in the country. So you miss three games and you were already somebody who was kind of getting bonus points for playing both ways. And if you just don't have the numbers because you missed a quarter of the season, that that's just going to make it almost impossible, even if you are one of the most electric people in the country. Agreed. All right, that is all that we have for this week's episode of Fame and Fortune and everything that goes with it. You can follow the Fans First Sports Network on social media at Fans First SN. You can follow me pretty much anywhere at BWW Matt. You can follow Jamie at Jamie Urich. Jamie, any parting thoughts before we uh, head into week four? Um, no, none for me, except go Bucks. Yeah, you're going to be in Europe for that game. Um, so we'll talk about sleeping. Living peacefully. Dreaming of a Buckeye victory. We're going to talk about that on our next episode of uh, No Fall Weddings, which will come out later this week. But the only thing I'm going to say is that I expect us to learn a lot this week. This is going to be a week with a ton of huge matchups. And I think that how we go through the rest of the season and how we look at a lot of these teams will be majorly impacted by what we see on Saturday. So I'm very much looking forward to doing absolutely nothing other than sitting on the couch and watching college football on Saturday. And I hope all of you do as well. So if you are not following the Fans First Sports Network, how are you listening to this? But if you are finding us somehow and not yet subscribed, make sure that you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and review. We are a new feed. We're trying to build things up. So any reviews or ratings that you can give us would be much appreciated. Jamie and I will be back. I don't know, Jamie, what are we doing with you in, in Europe? Are you going to email me your your picks since you're not, you're going to be incommunicado uh, for a couple uh, yes, of weeks? Yes, I, I, that that's the plan. I can, I can roll with that. All right, let's do that. I, I would rather... Uh, me run through things solo and kind of going through your picks uh, than having to bring somebody else in on this craziness because this is, uh, as we like it, this is a very chaotic endeavor that we are uh, going on throughout this season. So we will have fame and fortune, everything that goes with it next week. It'll just be a solo show with me reading you Jamie's results, but that also gives me the opportunity to make fun of everything that she picks when it is a little kooky and crazy. Uh, but that is the way we like it here. So have a great week. Enjoy college football. This one's going to be an absolute banger, and we will talk to you next week.